it's not about me I'm only here for a minute And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Yeah, well we showed um, our top level is good enough For sure, we can play with these guys um, They they show uh, what, what it is to be a cup winner And an elite team And they... You, you you can't deny we had a lot of the play in, in these three games yet they got five points so uh, they they find ways to survive when uh, we we had the momentum and then they found ways to turn it and get paid off for it and, and climb back into games a couple times uh, they you know, their elite level is pretty high as well yeah I mean like I said this loss was very uh, disappointing I feel like we could have won all three games here uh, Obviously, they could have done that too. Uh, but I mean, yeah, uh, there's some positives here. Uh, we think if we could have uh, taken uh, 50% of the points beforehand, uh, maybe you would have thought about it. Uh, it's a good team, and, and we've proven that we can play with them. But now it's up to us to respond from from this loss here, and we got some big games coming up here. So we we got to get back on the winning ways. That's uh, Jeremy Collins and Matthias Janmark. I'm Scott Powers, and I'm with. Mark Lazarus, and we are Laz and Powers. Mark, hello. Can we talk about the music playing behind those clips? I mean, that's some <laughs> sweet, sweet 80s rock, the night begins to shine kind of stuff right there. Like, there's someone, that's like their job. They just make, like, stock music that podcasts like us can take, and I love that. Like, I love the idea of someone in a booth just like, what generic 80s riffs can I come up with? Yeah! He's got, like, long hair, still in a mullet. I, I love that idea. I want my, like, my daily life to be played behind that, you know? <laughs> it's, like, you're, it's like narration with that behind it, and you're just like... <laughs> Scott's walking down the street. Yeah, he's got to forgot his mask. He's got to go back home. Oh, God. Like, that's the worst part of this whole, yeah, not the worst part of the fucking pandemic, but, like, that's been, like, the most inconvenient part of, like, the daily life is, like, you'd leave the house and, like, oh, shit, there's a mask, you know? Like, it's, like, there was a point where I went, I drove the Walgreens, got there, realized there wasn't a mask in my car, and I had to drive home. Like, you have no other options, you know? Like, that's just Scott, it's, it, it's been a, it's been literally a year. You don't have masks just in your car, just in case? Well, now I have masks everywhere. Like, I, there's all over the place. Like, it's, <laughs> I have so many masks, and it's, yeah, it's, 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 Definitely out of hand. So my daughter's te- um, my daughter's third grade teacher's uh, sister makes masks. So like she's come home with like five hundred masks over the last uh, six months. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. No, Mae Mae plays with the masks now. Like it's just it's uh, like they yeah, become totally. When my kids are drawing people, they draw them with masks on. I mean, this is like this is the world they live in now. She's uh, she was playing the other day with a mask, and she was Merida from uh, one of the Disney princesses. And brave, that was like her That's bone brave. arrow. You can yeah, brave. It's okay to admit that you know that. No, I, I know way too much than I ever <laughs> wanted to know. So yeah, it's just, it was it was a boner arrow, and that was being flung all over the nice. place. But uh, um, <laughs> speaking yeah, so of I, kids, I, Kirby Doc. Yeah, so that was the uh, the unexpected news of today was uh, Kirby Doc on the ice for the Blackhawks optional practice. Um, and, and Jeremy, we have a story going up on the Athletic, and I'll be up. You know, by the time this this goes uh, goes on the website or wherever you find your podcast, um, but uh, Jeremy Carlton was very careful not to uh, not to expect you know Doc on the ice any time really soon. Like I think he's very careful and not wanting to get people to get ahead of themselves with this. And um, but but at the same time, it's you know like when when the surgery was announced in late December, I think the announcement was four to five months of. 
uh, before Doc got back, you know, back to this point. So that he's certainly ahead of the curve. And the fact that he's going with them on this trip, um, I don't anticipate he plays on this trip. But the fact that he's gotten to the point where they, they're going to allow him to practice with the taxi squad or the players, like it's important for him to be with players instead of just working out by himself or working out with whomever else is injured. So I, I, this is definitely a significant step forward. Well, it'll be really interesting. I mean, it, let, let's say he, you know, Let's say he does come back at some point this season. I mean, we're not even at the halfway point of the season. We're going to hit that this week. So there's a lot of hockey left to be played. And if he's already on the ice and handling pucks, you got to think it's realistic that he's back before the playoffs. And by the way, it's incredible we're talking about the playoffs, but the Blackhawks have a better chance of making the playoffs than missing the playoffs right now. Um, it's We've seen a lot of guys come through wrist injuries over the years. I remember Marcus Kruger had one, and it took him like six, seven months before he was back. And he couldn't take, uh, he couldn't take face-offs for months after that. So there are stages to a wrist injury and, you know, everyone heals differently. Every player is differently, uh, is different, but it'll be interesting to see if he does come back, will it be as a center? Will he have to play on the wing? Will they be able to kind of uh, protect him in any way? Or are they going to, you know, if it's, if it's a month before the end of the season and the Hawks are in a dogfight for that fourth playoff spot, do they rush him back? Are they going to play the long game here? You know, there's a million moving parts to this, but the fact that he's back on the ice now, probably about a month ahead of like where we thought maybe we'd see, see him with the team. And again, he's not anywhere close to playing, but when you start playing, when you start skating and traveling with the team, you're closer than, you know, than, uh, than people thought. But there's going to be a real interesting dynamic to this and, you know, protecting the asset and also going for the playoffs and also wanting him to get some games in this year. So there's not a completely lost season to him. There's so many variables at play here. Um, there's reasons on both sides to try to get him back out there. And there's reasons to go really, really carefully because he is your single most, you know, uh, important long-term asset. You know, what's interesting was I was writing the doc piece this morning was I, I, I was, you know, at, one, at some point they are like a legitimate playoff team, you know, like it, it is almost the halfway point and, and I feel like we've all been like, oh, you know, like at some point they're going to crash and burn and that hasn't happened yet. But it's also about the rest of the division. Like they're, they're, they're the lightning and the stars and or not the, the lightning, the Panthers and, and the hurricanes. But beyond that, like everybody else sucks. Yeah, like everyone else is below 500. The Blackhawks' record against those all these other teams, Columbus and Detroit and Nashville and Dallas, so far is twelve two and two. Like the Blackhawks have succeeded against those teams, you know. Like I, I think I think the Panthers and Lightning and and Hurricanes are, are, are a good step above the Blackhawks, mm-hmm. and you know, like they're not there yet. But th- there's no reason why they can't beat any of those other teams. None of the team other teams have have proven to be consistent. The Blackhawks have outplayed them. So at, at some point, like they they become like a legitimate playoff team, and that's you know like. That'll, the, I, you know, we'll certainly know more in a few weeks. But even beyond that, if the Blackhawks beat who they're supposed to beat, like they, they can lose to the Lightning and the Panthers all day long, but they, they can still get in by just beating those other teams. And you know, the, you know, we're, the, the the Blackhawks just finished up this huge series at the Lightning that we've been hyping for a month. Like that's when we're going to know what they are. That's that's when we're going to find out if they're really any any good or not. And I mean, there were times where they look absolutely overwhelmed by mm-hmm. Tampa, and Tampa has that effect. But at the end of it, they went one one and one. They essentially, I mean, they got three points and Tampa got five points because hockey scoring is stupid. But when when it comes down to it, they were in every single game until it fell apart late in that, you know, the second half of that third game. Uh, that's encouraging. I mean, there's been a lot of thought. It's like, well, what's the value of getting into the playoffs this year if you're just going to get steamrolled by Tampa Bay in the first round? And I get that. I've thought about that. Is it better to get a draft pick than it is to get just completely waxed like that? But really, when it comes down to it, this is a team... Yes, Carolina is better than they are. Yes, Tampa is better than they are. Yeah, Florida is probably better than they are. But they've hung with Tampa now, and they they've beaten Carolina. 
And we haven't really seen them against Florida since that first weekend of the season, so I'm curious to see how that plays out. But the Blackhawks can win games against these teams. They wouldn't just go in and just be, you know, a sacrificial lamb necessarily. They've got some grit and some heart and some character and some skill. Um, and when you go into a playoff series and you got Patrick Kane, you never know what's going to happen. So, and if you bring Kirby Doc back, all of a sudden this team looks a lot different. I'm not saying they're going to go out there and they're going to beat the Lightning, but I don't think it's like this death sentence that it felt like just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I, I you know, and, and I feel like the other part is too, like the, they've proven they're too good to get like a top three pick, you know, like it's, yeah. I, I feel like that's already left, you know, left the door here where it's just, it's, there are other teams that are a lot worse than them and, and it's probably, they're not going to fall that far. Like, I, I feel like that conversation has just changed now where like, like if, if Doc does come back and it's getting him playoff time and Mitchell playoff time and, you know, everyone down the line, like, like that's the value of this season all to, you know, like playing these big games and, you know, it certainly helped. I, I think it helped Doc's develop when the Blackhawks got in the playoffs last year, and he, you know, he, he was playing, you know, you know, arguably at times, you know, a bigger role than Taves was, and especially in five on five, and it was just so big, and you know, Boak was hit his lumps, but it, also games for those guys to experience. So I, I think that the meaningful hockey, and, and, and Carlton mentioned it today too, that meaningful hockey now is important for that development. But you, know, you, you push that further down the line, and they are able to play a playoff games, and um, and you know, and. and yeah, the reality is that they're not going to get the number one pick at this point. So I, I think that the conversation evolves to what's, you know, what's the best for the Blackhawks then. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curious what the Blackhawks look like if Doc centering Kane and Debrinkit, you know, like it, it may be unfair to Doc to think that he's going to step on the ice and be where he was. But, um, you know, he was looking really good last season looked like he you know he was he was gonna be even better this year based on how he's playing at world you know you know still it's, it's younger kids but even the world junior camp like he 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 was on the cusp of something and um and if you bump everyone down like Suter's more of a you know second line center and, and eventually gets you know they get strong back and um they're a little bit healthier this, this team yeah i don't know just there's a lot more depth to it and um, a little bit more scoring pop and um, yeah and I think that that whole line with the Brinkett you know the way that the Brinkett evolved and certainly came playing at this level and you give them a, an elite um, you know top center at least you know someone who's emerging as a top center I, I think that line can can be even more dangerous um, I, I think but, I think uh, in the long term here I mean the, the the big picture hasn't changed like this this season is going to be a net positive no matter what because so many young guys have debuted and and already entrenched themselves in the NHL shown what they can do Suter and Kurashev and Mitchell and all these guys it's all it's all gravy here but in the short term what I'm curious about is when do we change the narrative a little bit and since we're the ones that kind of write the narrative I guess that's on us but you know you know, I, I think about like 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 uh, Sunday's game. They were up 3-0, and they lost 6-3. They gave up three goals in three minutes. It was a freaking disaster. They shat themselves. There's really no other way to put it. And, and you know, four or five years ago, we would have been screaming bloody murder about it. And, you know, oh, it's the apocalypse. Oh, this is unacceptable. And, you know, in other markets around the league, oh, it's unacceptable. But we're like, yeah, you know, but they were leading the Lightning 3-0. That's not bad. You know, we're still kind of couching it in these, like, you know, look at this adorable little team that's trying real hard terms. And... I, I I I haven't reached the point yet where I'm where I'm prepared to treat them like they have to win now and this is a win now yeah. team and you can't you know I, I'm not a big moral victories guy usually but I've been kind of playing the moral victory card a lot this year and, and even yesterday like yeah you know they, it, it sucked the way it went out but you know there's things you could take from this like I wouldn't have written that five years ago I would have been all over these guys so it, because it's part part of it's like you. 
I was more surprised they were up three nothing that they blew a three nothing lead, right? You know, <laughs> right, like it was, exactly. it's like, oh, that's that's probably was inevitable. You know, <laughs> like it, it just it has that feeling, and that's I, I, I mean that that may be unfair to them, but it's just it's how this season feels that any success they have is more surprising than the failures they have. But but you know now we're we're as we approach the halfway point is like do we turn the page on that and do we start holding them? You know, Jeremy Collins talks a lot about the standard. They're raising the standard. When do we start holding them to a higher standard where it's unacceptable to blow a 3-0 lead, even against Tampa? I know everything comes with an asterisk against Tampa. There's just an insanely talented, deep, skilled team. But at what point do you deserve to be excoriated for something like that? I, I don't think they're there yet because they had, they had six, nine rookies in the lineup. Wyatt Kalanick's yeah. in there. And then Connor, you know, Calvin DeHaan's out and Connor Murphy gets ejected halfway through the game. I mean, what, what the, what the you expect to happen but at the same time it's like when do we when do we get past that when when do they pass the hump where all right this is a legitimate team now this isn't some adorable little try hard team this is a team that's trying to make the playoffs and we need to hold them to a higher standard i don't think it happens this season i, I just don't foresee that like it's going to be a young team regardless of who comes back you know like the, the young guys are going to outnumber everyone else and it's uh, like it's still, you know, like Lankinen is still a rookie, and 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 yeah, like it's you know the fact that Han was out and Murphy was out, like it's always going to be within those terms. I I think at least for me, um, and the fact the schedule is, you know, we are almost at the halfway point, and um, you know, like it's 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 a condensed schedule, and it's you know, um, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I think I come, I think what may happen as the season goes on is that I'll come to expect them to beat Dallas and Nashville and in Detroit and Columbus. Um, but still struggle against those other teams because I, I think I understand the reality of where they are and, and how much better those other teams are. Uh, a year from now, I, I don't think that narrative, the Blackhawks are allowed that narrative, you know, like it's, um, I think that changes. But, you know, as long as Taves out and, and um, you know, they're playing so many young guys, I think they get the benefit of the doubt and they do get, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like they can just fall back on that they are a young team and, 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 and they're going to be some growing pains and, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think for me, it's always going to be within that context of what this season is for them. And, and the fact that they've already uh, well exceeded what anyone thought they were going to be. And, and even within the Blackhawks, you know, like if we had asked Bowman or Carlton and, and they, you know, like even be, before the season when they spoke on their record, like I don't, I don't think anyone expected this. So I, I think it's all a pleasant surprise for them. And, and they're still looking to uh, a year from now, two years from now, where this team can can be a legitimate contender again. You know, it's funny. We keep talking about Dallas as it's one of the good teams in the division. And they're, I mean, they had that amazing start to the season where they were just unstoppable killing machines. But, I mean, they, are, they have six games in hand on the Blackhawks. Six. And if they won all six, they'd be tied with the Blackhawks. I mean, that's after stealing a point last night where they scored in the last minute to get to overtime. I mean, this is a team that is playing, you know, to use the Dallas terminology, fucking horseshit hockey. You know, somewhere, uh, you know, Jim Nill's saying that to, to Sean Shapiro. I mean, this is a sub, this, they've got seven wins and 13 losses. This is not a good team. Yet, when I look at like Dom's predictions, they have the exact same chance of making the playoffs as the Blackhawks do. I don't know how those models work. I'm not smart enough to understand the algorithms and all that. But I don't see how that's possible, how you could watch this Dallas team the last few weeks and think, yeah, yeah, they're, 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 they're going to come out of this, you know, with only 30 games left in the season. And, and their schedule is so insane because of all the time they lost. They're playing so many games in such a condensed amount of time. I, like, they're already out of it to me. They're, they, they're barely ahead of Detroit right now. Columbus is garbage. Nashville is garbage and is going to be sold off for parts. The Blackhawks are going to have to stumble tremendously bad 
in order to miss the playoffs this year. We're already almost at that point where their second half is going to have to, it's going to be this huge nosedive if they're going to miss the playoffs. And they still have lots of games against Detroit and Dallas and Nashville and Columbus. Yeah, they got Tampa and Carolina too, but so do those other teams. I mean, we have to start looking at this team as a playoff team because if you, a snapshot of the season right now, they should make the playoffs. And at some point, you know, I agree with you, the bigger picture is more important, but at some point, you know, these guys live in the now. You only get so many kicks at the can. And a guy like Duncan Keith and Patrick Kane, they're, they're, they want to be in desperately. You have to start treating them like a playoff contender because they're a playoff contender. Yeah, I, I guess I, that's a fair point, too. Like, I, at this point, I think I'd be surprised if they don't make the playoffs. But at the same time, it's like I don't anticipate them going any further than the first round. Yeah, and right? that's, like and that's the, fair, yeah. I, I think that's – like – so far, they've proven that. Like, I think this Dallas series will be interesting because I think the Blackhawks are have proven they're better than Dallas, and and, and we'll see with these games. Like, it, it's it's going to take something, you know. Dallas, the Blackhawks are going to lose, have to lose a bunch, and other teams are going to have to win. Um, you know, I, I I was thinking, I was thinking back to you know, we always talked about that American Thanksgiving holiday and and where teams are usually meant they're in the playoffs, and I was trying to, you know, where's the what does that equate to in this we're, time? We're like well I, past halfway that point. points. Yeah. Got to be that you know past well, that, right? Well, I mean, Thanksgiving is like that's like the the maybe the quarter mark of a season. Usually, we're yeah we are way past that point. I mean, these teams are what they are right now. Yeah, it'll, it'll be it'll be interesting. I'm I'm, I'm th- this road trip will be you know like they they've set a positive tone with how they played at home against the Lightning. Like they're they're uh, Tampa Tampa outplayed them in the end, and you know they they probably could have won all those games, and um but. They played well enough, and, and certainly I thought in that first game really set a tone that, you know, they can hang in there when the Blackhawks are playing consistent hockey and, and, and you know, like they're, they're giving that work ethic and their star players are being the stars. They can they can hang with teams for stretches. And um, so I, I think it's it's going to be about the consistency now. It's like it's it's Dallas who, you know, people are still expecting them to finish ahead of the Blackhawks, and then it's, then it's Florida and Tampa. So it, now it's the consistency of having to play in those big games back to back to back and that's that's another test for for these young guys you know like this is this is something they're not as you know used to their schedule's been somewhat light where they they face Tampa and, and Florida early and then they they got some of those easier teams and now now they'll have a tougher stretch where they they have those tougher teams and play more consistently so um it'll be an interesting upcoming stretch um the news obviously the news this past week was 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 Brent Seabrook and him um, I, I keep on wanting to say retire, but I guess that's not the uh, I mean, he retired, official way. He retired without filing retirement papers. <laughs> right. I guess that's a, the best way to put it. But he uh, he stopped away from playing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I You know, I, I heard from a source even recently saying that, you know, they didn't expect Seabrook to play again. But it, it seemed like a stretch for me. Like, you know how prideful Seabrook is and how much time he had left on his contract. He, I, I I wasn't. I didn't assume that he was going to step away at this point. I I I didn't. I thought he this would kind of carry on for another year or two, and um and maybe you know he comes back later this season or next season. I I didn't think he'd call it quits. Uh, now. Yeah, I was surprised. He 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 really really badly. I mean, you could tell over the summer, and uh, and just talking to him, uh, you know, the other day that he desperately wanted to prove to people that he had something left. That he wasn't the 
the the player that he was down the stretch when his body was just betraying him. He badly, badly wanted to do that. And I talked to a source close to him just last week, and they're saying he's, you know, said that, they said that it it just eats at him. Like the whole the way he's perceived by the rest of the league now, he's not seen as some great player. He's seen as a as a bad contract. He's seen as almost like a punchline. And I, I think that really eats at him because he was a really good player for a really long time. And he was always overshadowed by Kane and Taves and, and, and Keith and even like Hosa and even Patrick Sharp. He, he never seemed to get that feeling. He was like with Jalmerson where Chicago fans loved him. But outside of the league, he was just a guy. Um, I really think he wanted to prove something. But it's just it just got to be too much. I mean, he spent a full year coming back from, you know, three major surgeries, both hips and his uh, shoulder. And, you know, just a couple of weeks before camp's about to start, it just all breaks down again. At some point, you can't keep fighting that. At some point, you know that your body's just not going to be able to do what you need it to do. It's so physically demanding to be a, a professional athlete, especially a hockey player out there, especially a guy who plays the way Seabrook plays, where he's not some kind of speedster. He needs to use his body. Um, you know, it, it's just, I think he just, he had to accept the fact, and it was clearly hard for him to accept it, that he just couldn't do it anymore. And dragging it out was just going to be putting his family through more misery, himself through more misery. It's not fun rehabbing from injuries. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes doing all that work. And he's done all that work for so long now that I think it was just, it, it was one of those kind of epiphany moments where you just realize, look, I just, I can't do it anymore. And yeah. you have to respect him for being uh, able to admit that because it's hard for guys to admit that. I always thought of it. I, I've always thought, you know, the Blackhawks were Kane and Taves, Keith, Hosa, and then Seabrook. Like I, I thought that he was like the fact that he'd been included in Canada's team before. And, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he felt like a step, like, sh- like when Sharp got to, the Canada team that one time and and like it felt like such a massive accomplishment. I f- I felt like Seabrook had achieved that, and the fact that Jarmelson was um, maybe more respected for his defensive game than than he certainly didn't bring as much offense. That I felt I always felt like Seabrook was a, a little bit ahead of those guys just based on his inclusion into the team Canada, and then um, you know the fact that he scored some of those big goals. And yeah, I I feel like Sharp's the guy that'll never get enough respect for what he did. And and even watching, I think I mentioned recently about watching Kane's 400 goals and how many were just assisted by Sharp and yeah. um, you know what his role was, but. Um, yeah, it was, you know, you know I, I guess the last time, the last two times that we got to talk to Seabrook, you know, within the media group, like it was just, and I, I think you've mentioned this before too, is just how he was more thoughtful and it was more, you know, like it was, it was a different tone. Like you, you he used to be so guarded with the media and, and so, uh, defensive with us that he was, I don't know, he was just in a different, uh, different frame of mind these last two times where he, I think he had some of this, you know, this last time even just, uh, he had his career, like just in a different perspective and what he had gone through. And um, like, there was probably just a relief in, in knowing that, you know, like you, you didn't have to deal with all this stuff and having to push yourself. And I, I'm sure this has just been so physically and mentally taxing for, um, especially the last few years and, and being a healthy scratch and, um, and then dealing with the surgeries and admitting, admitting that he was, you know, like his body was broken and then having to fight back. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that he woke up the next day, you know, it's funny cause when he, when he did it, set up his press conference that he, he gave a little shout out to you <laughs> saying that he couldn't sleep, sleep the night before cause he was worried about what you were going to ask him. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's probably come, you know, like there's, there's some relief with this too, that he doesn't have to put his body through this or, you know, have to be so mentally taxing. And it, it sounded like he was, he was looking forward to just being around his family again and, and kind of moving on. Yeah, and I, and I wrote this, obviously, the, the morning that, that, that he announced it, but 
it, it, it's really and, and I, I I get shit from this from fans all the time. I think I make too much of a big deal out of this over the years. It's really hard to overstate his impact on those cup teams. How important he was in that room. I mean, everybody knows that Jonathan Taves is the leader, the captain, and all that. But it's always been Seabrook's room. He's always been the beating heart of that team. And you know, you, you can hand wave all the stuff about leadership and you know keeping the room light and all that other stuff. But these guys worshipped him. I mean, he was. He was the, I keep calling him the paterfamilias. It's the best way I can describe him. He was, he was dad in that room. And everybody, especially as, as, as the room got younger and younger, he somehow became bigger and bigger. He was such an important force in that room. And it might not matter to a hockey fan sometimes, but it matters to hockey players. Hockey players are weird. They're different. They're wired differently than we are. And a guy like Seabrook makes so much difference. I remember, uh, I always go back to the 2015 Stanley Cup Final Media Day. Uh, in Tampa at Amelie Arena. And I was talking to Auntie Ranta on the side because nobody wanted to talk to Auntie Ranta, and I love Auntie Ranta. So I <laughs> didn't uh, get a chance to talk to him. And he was just he just kept telling me about Seabrook. He's he just going gushing, like, like unsolicited about how great a guy he is, how he's just the most important person. And, you know, how he's the one who, who always used to tell me how every fist bump he gives you as you walk off the ice or walk onto the ice is like specific for each player. Like he knows exactly how hard each guy needs to be hit <laughs> to get him going. And that's one of my favorite little tidbits ever. And I always use that. And I, I, I know, you know, Seabrook, he, look, he's not going to be a Hall of Famer. I got that question a few times. I, I think he's a one-time All-Star. Uh, on that Team Canada team, he was like the number seven guy. I think he played in only a game or two. He's always been kind of just outside that core of greatness. But his value to the Chicago Blackhawks is evident in anyone you talk to, anybody. And, and that's one of the advantages we have is we do talk to the people that know him best. And he is universally beloved. So his impact on those teams can't be overstated. Now the question is, do you retire that number seven, knowing that it's also Chris Chelios's number? What do you do in that situation? Yeah, but maybe that's the, the easy one. Yeah, maybe they retire both. Like, How do you do they, that? They what what would that look like? Well, the Blackhawks have that already, don't they? Have one with uh, have number one have a number retired? Oh, two yeah, already. yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, I, I think that's you know, like it, I, it probably, yeah, it, it probably could, you know, just. I, I, I still think. Of, I, I look at it this way: Brent Seabrook's number absolutely should be retired. Like in any normal team, that would happen. But the Blackhawks, I mean, they haven't even retired Steve Larmer's number yet. I mean, they're really stingy about this stuff. I think it what it winds up being is. Is Kate, Keith, yeah. Keith Kane and Taves all get their numbers retired, and then there's also some banner to the core that Jalmerson will be on, Seabrook, Sharp, Hosa, and uh, maybe even Crawford, even though he's only on two of those Cup teams. And Hansers, and of course Michael Hansers. Michael Hansers should have his his mullet retired. Like they should just like <laughs> like Joel Joel will have his mustache and Hansers will have his curly mullet. But I, I think they're going to honor, like, like Seabrook's, his likeness will be somewhere outside of the United Center. They'll probably do some group statue for the core. And he's going to be honored, but I don't think it's going to be his jersey by itself up in the Raptors, and it probably should be. Yeah, Seabrook's a good test for them, because I, I, I think that Seabrook was that next player after, you know, like, host of the fact that he wasn't drafted here, and, yeah. you know, like, he... Like his story is a little bit different, but the fact that they didn't trade Seabrook and they gave him that massive contract and it said a lot about what the Blackhawks thought of Seabrook and um, the fact that they were going to risk some of the future by giving him that long deal and betting on him to be that player and um, and obviously it didn't work out and it became part of the narrative about him. But but the the initial contract allowing him that sort of deal at that point in career was I think a testament to where Stan Bowman and John McDonough. Um, and Rocky Words thought of 
thought of Seabrook and they thought that he was, you know, it was a way of rewarding him what he'd given that team, but also betting on him uh, uh, in the future. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Seabrook will be an interesting one because like, I do think that he was thought of in a different light than than some of those players where we saw Jarmelson traded and Sharp and, um, you know, the way that Hose's career ended. And, and Hose is interesting too because, like, if, if Hose, I mean, this would have been the final season of Hose. So, like, if he had played yeah. out these last four years, like, I, I think we'd probably be talking about Hose in a different light too. Like, well, um, you know, like he might have been more of a lock to have his number retired. And, you know, the Hose and the Blackhawks have mentioned before that he, you know, he'd like to come back and work for an organization. And, and, and Seabrook said the same thing, too. Like, it, at some point, the, their payroll might be pretty high on that side if they just keep on hiring former, I, I, I feel like former, we, former players. I feel like we should point out, too. I mean, we talk about Seabrook's legacy a lot about his in-the-room stuff. He was a really, really good hockey player, too, for a long, long time. I mean, he had that huge shot. He had the three overtime playoff winners. That You know, those are Mr. Big Shot. He was the best stretch passer I've ever seen. Like, nobody could spring a guy in a break with these hard, flat passes that would go 125 feet right on the tape, right on stride. Uh, he's a really, really good hockey player. And I, I just I just hope that the last few years where he wasn't a really good hockey player, I hope people kind of, that fades from their memory and they just remember all the good times because he was a really good player and a really important part of this team. I, I do think that it helps that he's stepping away now. Like, if we had been talking about his contract for oh, three God, more yeah. years, like, it, it definitely would, I think, continue to ruin his legacy. And, um, you know, the Blackhawks, and, and I wrote about this too, but, you know, they, they do have some hurdles here to figure out with his contract. But now that he doesn't have to deal with the questions, and, and, and you know, like, it's eased. I think it's eased J- Jeremy Colleton's job and eased what the Blackhawks are trying to do in their rebuild, not to... Um, you know, Seabrook being out of the equation, but it, it yeah, it would, it would have been a lot more, a lot harder if Seabrook was still thinking he could play and, and the contract was still, um, you know, unmovable and, and, and we'll see what they can do with it. But, you know, Stan Bowman said he had some ideas, but I, I think that does help his legacy is that he won't be tied, um, you know, tied to it for the next three years and there won't be those constant questions. And, um, but um, well, let's, yeah, let's, it's, I, I guess for you, for you personally, what do you have any specific memories of covering them? Anything that that stands out? Oh God, I mean, it's been forever. I, I feel like I've written about them all by now. Just the just the battles. I mean, he was, he, you know, I think I said the other day he was everyone's big brother, where he treated you like a little brother, like not in like a <laughs> not like like it was kind of dickish sometimes. Like it was intent, like you know, like a big brother would. But you know, it was it was it was in good fun. He liked he liked to get you off guard and off balance and. Uh, once you learn to kind of give and take a little bit, like my first few years with him, never I never really made that much headway. But as I was around more and I got more comfortable with him, I was able to kind of give it back to him a little bit. And that's when he started giving me more of his time and, you know, being a little more open about it. Because he really is a great quote. I mean, these last two Zooms that he's done have been great. You know, you could kind of get that out of him sometimes. I remember talking to him before his thousandth game uh, about his dad and, and he growing up. And it just this conversation just went all these sorts of interesting directions. And, you know, he's a really interesting guy who's been through a lot in his life and in, and in his career. And uh, I don't know. He's just he's you know, so many hockey players are so boring and so like intentionally kind of milquetoast that I always appreciated that even if he was giving me shit and, and kind of giving me a hard time, which he did. And, you know, the PR guys hated asking for him. I say, hey, can I get Seabrook? And they would just be like, oh, shit, because they know they're going to get yelled at by Seabrook because they have to ask that I, they, oh, someone wants to talk to me. You know, we all had to deal with that. But uh, I, I kind of appreciated that about it. He just, he just wasn't another guy out there. He was, he, was his, he was himself with everybody, whether it was a teammate, an opponent, a reporter, the equipment guys. He was always authentically Brent Seabrook. And in a, in a league that discourages that, I've always appreciated that. Yeah, no, I think you had a you had a, a close relationship than than a lot of us did. I I, I never, 
yeah, I, I feel like he was always a little bit standoffish with me. And I, I remember it was, uh, was it last year, or two years ago, where he had, he had said something about, you know, it was, it was when he was healthy, scratched, and and then you know I went on a road trip and asked him to clarify something, and it was like he answered the one question, then any other question was just a complete. You know, a like complete wall. Oh, I get that. As a bu- uh, that happened to me a bunch of times. You you ask one question he doesn't like, and the rest of them are all just no, yes, yeah, yes, no. Uh, or even yesterday when I I mentioned, oh, thanks for your time for all the years, and he sort of acknowledged that he didn't give us many time over <laughs> much time over the years, and, which is true. That he, yeah, he was he was a bit of an asshole at <laughs> times too. So like that was that was the reality of the situation too. All right, well let's let's uh, let's use this as a chance to segue to our first email here. Um, you wrote a bunch about this. Austin Bargner asks. Uh, my question for you guys is, do you guys foresee the Hawks making a Hosa-type move with Seabrook's contract? I would hate to see one of these rookies become the next one that got away like Tavo or Deneau just to get some more cap space. I mean, what do you think happens there? It seems like it's a lot harder to do that than it used to be. Yeah, I mean, the Arizona isn't taking on those contracts, so there, there's not like an, a landing spot for that. Um, Seattle may make the most sense. It's just it's a matter of whether Seattle wants to do that. Um I think Seattle's advantage, like I don't know if they can build a team like Vegas did and, and build a contender out of out of the gate like that. But what you can do is that they have eighty one point five million dollars, and you can you can just go on a buying spree and, and probably get a lot of great contracts because so many teams are going to be in such a um, you know like you're, you're trying to pay for new new guys RFAs and you know guys coming up and and trying to do it in the same um, same financial landscape. There's not that that growing, increasing cap ceiling that you're, you're accustomed to. So I think, I think there are going to be a lot of players that can probably just spend a few more dollars than some other people or, or steal people away or, um, you know, even considering, um, you know, we don't see that often, but offer sheets, like there, there's so many different possibilities for Seattle to really, uh, I think, take advantage of this, this flat cap and everyone's financial constraints. Um, so, so does Seabrook fit in that? Like, the, the, like is 6.75 million, does that like ruin that opportunity? And then it's also like, the, the, the thing is the Blackhawks are going to have to give up give up something you know one source said doc and to bring it and obviously the blackhawks would say no to that but um you know like is it a first rounder is it you know is it what are they willing to, are they willing to give up some promising prospects it's i i think bowman's gonna have to balance that because right now they're really not in a bad cap position but um you know doc and Boquist contracts are coming up and all of a sudden now you got to pay suit or something and you know lincoln's contracts up sooner than later and um, you know, some contracts come off the books, but, you know, uh, the problem with having young players emerge is, is that eventually they want you know, want to get paid sooner than later. And they certainly have some guys that um, are, are expecting some, you know, some sizable bumps. So um, and even, you know, Strom and Kubalik are due contracts in two years. So I, I think the Blackhawks cap issues could come back around and they'll have to make some tougher decisions. And, um, you know, if you had, you know, nearly $7 million free, that would, that would probably ease some of those issues. So I I think there are a lot of questions internally. The Blackhawks are going to be asking, I don't think anything's going to happen anytime soon. I think the first time they'll really start addressing that is come the off season and having those discussions with Seattle or whomever else. And, you know, we've seen teams like Tampa have to deal with, um, you know, finding creative ways to use the LTIR and, um, you know, those type of things might come into, uh, you know, possibilities too. So yeah, there, there's a lot of different avenues. None of them are exactly easy and probably what the Blackhawks want to, uh, want to do. Um, but, then uh, the other thing is that, we you know, we can still figure out that if Seabrook, I imagine he would, but he needs to waive his no movement clause and allow the Blackhawks to trade his contract. Um, um, I, I suspect that he would because, you know, like, I think he understands 
uh, you know, the heftiness of that contract too, and what it what it does mean to have that cap space. But that's that's something else that the Blackhawks and and Bowman and Seabrook will have to work out. So it'll be interesting. It'll it'll be interesting to see if something can get done and and how long the Blackhawks wait because maybe 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 they they don't have to do it until a year or two from now, and then um, maybe it becomes more of an urgency as they're you know some of those cap constraints come up for them. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, Alex Betcher says, Malcolm Subban is something like 6-0 in shootouts and has made 21 of 22 saves in shootouts. Is there a rule precluding subbing in a shootout specialist goalie just for the skills competition? You know, we talked about this a lot last year because Robin Leonard was just <laughs> awful, just awful at shootouts, as he freely admitted. Something about when the game slowed down, like he was good at reaction time on breakaways, but not with the once things slowed down. Uh, it just doesn't seem realistic to me to bring a guy off the bench and say, hey, stop three breakaways against three super really good players. Um, it just seems... Unfat. It's not like Lankinen is awful at them by any stretch. So, yeah, uh, it is. It seems like it'd be unfair to Subban too. Like all of a sudden the questions are pointed at him. Like why do you fuck this yeah, up? You exactly know? Like, right. <laughs> I'm sure he wouldn't say no. Everybody really wants to be out there, but uh, no. I think you just have to go with the guy who's loose and ready to go. And it, it, you know, here it's a shootout. Now here's here comes uh, Victor Hedman, Steven Stamkos, and Nikita Kucherov. Good luck with that. <laughs> uh, we also have a voicemail from Scott from Palatine. Hello, this is Scott from Palatine. During the Bowman years, the recruitment of Russian and Finnish players, the two countries where young players are the least likely to be fluent in English, has been a weakness with the Hawks. When they had Tara Vinen, they had either Ante Ranta or later Kimo Timonen on the roster with them at all times. For Panarin, they went out and got Anisimov, overpaying in the process. Are the Hawks making a conscious effort to increase the recruitment of Russian and Finnish players? Now, and does that explain some of the rationale in acquiring Zadorov a few months ago? And with Kurashev looking like a permanent NHL player, does that make Zadorov more expendable down the road? Well, that's an interesting question. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, Max Shalunov would certainly like to know the answer. <laughs> to that too. I don't think that the um, I don't, I, the only time I can really remember the Blackhawks worrying about a player assimilating to America was with Artemi Panarin. What they did is they brought Victor Tikhanov over, yeah. who was like his who was his like his best friend uh, in the KHL, and he kind of served as his interpreter for the media and kind of like took him around and just showed him around how because because Tikhanov had grown up in San Jose, he's an American kid basically. Um, I don't think that's really that big of a concern for most of these guys. A lot of them have played juniors and then went back home and then come back. Uh, I, I don't think that's something that really concerns the Blackhawks that much. No, I, I think they're. You know, I think during, you know, like even during development camp, like, or, or, or during training camp, I, I think they wanted to have someone around Alte Barmakian that, you know, spoke Russian and like they might have someone that, you know, can communicate with them. Um, and, you know, like they, they try to ease them in. And I think they're mindful of someone can't speak English. Um, you know, they'll, they'll try to get them English help, but, you know, they're also encouraged, you know, those players, I know Kempf and Kempney and some of those people. Um, some of some of the Czech players who've come over in recent years that you know their their English was, um, you know, just it, it wasn't great coming over and they've improved it too. So I think sometimes it's on the player and the Blackhawks will try to assist that. But yeah, I don't you know even like Tara Vinen, like his English was pretty good and uh, Ronce's English was, was great and you know th- there haven't been. I'm trying to think who, what, you know. It's I, really, it, it's. What it, translators it, we actually, interpreters we needed. Like, Panarin was the only one that we actually needed it. And, Kem- like, we, just, we, we, we didn't with, talk to Camp that much. Or, with or with Kempney Kem- had an interpreter for a little bit. I think he did the same. Okay, yeah. He was also Panarin's interpreter. He was really talented. He knew a lot of languages. But, um, yeah, it's really only the Russian players that really have the issue. Because most, you know, you know, quote-unquote Western European countries, 
they teach the kids English in school growing up. So the Swedes come over, they speak better English than I do. You know, the Finns come over and they, and they can they can certainly communicate uh, and do interviews and things like that. Um, uh, Swiss players and Austrian players. I mean, in all these countries, for the most part, they speak English. So I don't think it's it, the Russians are the they're different. They're more time. advanced than us. They really are. They're, <laughs> they're, they have much better schools because they pay a lot more taxes. But that's a different podcast. <laughs> I look forward to that podcast. Uh, it was interesting when I went over to Sweden for Marcus Krug and Johnny Oduya's Cup Day. Like it was, it was interesting in that, like you, like at a certain generation, like the, the English wasn't taught. You know, like older generations, English wasn't that taught in in Swedish schools. So like there were a lot of people that were that were older that we came across that didn't know English, and you know, like they'd have to help me translate or if I wanted to interview them, or they just you know they politely told me no. Um, but then you got to a certain age, like they you know like they, they all spoke English fluently too. Like that was was interesting, and I and I feel like that's more common now, especially in in schools you know uh, abroad, is that you know like English is is taught throughout, and it just it depends on how often they use it um, beyond. Because even uh, who's the Trying to think, who was the latest story on that? It was um, oh god, who did I do the story on? Where they had mentioned that they had learned uh, English in school, but it wasn't like the same. And someone had said, "What's up?" And they like they're like, "Oh, I don't know what that means." You know, like <laughs> God, who was who was that? Who was the story with? I don't know. Um, I don't read your stuff. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I obviously don't read it either. Um, <laughs> god, I'm blanking. Like, yeah, um, it's yeah. Just read all my stories, and eventually get to that part. <laughs> Well, anyway, if you have a, if you have a question or a comment, you can send it to us. Uh, you can email it at lazandpowers at gmail.com or call the voicemail line at 714-759-4529. That's 714-759-4529. Oh, it's kind of, I can't believe I can't remember what I used. Anyway, while Scott's banging his head against the wall, go read my Patrick Kane oral history. Uh, yeah, about, that was uh, what, what was that like to put together? Uh, it was a lot of work. It was fun though. I mean, it was I, I've never done an oral history before. I know that's kind of like the uh, the athletics like uh, trademark, but it was my first time, and uh, I know you've done a couple of them now. And it's harder than it looks. Like it's easy to just call a bunch of people. I had tracked. I had to get a LinkedIn professional account. I didn't have a LinkedIn account just to find people, uh, just by looking up names on elite prospects and then digging them up because I didn't want to go through Kane. I didn't want him to kind of like give them heads up so they, to tell them what to say. Um, so tracking guys down was, was challenging. And then once I did, it was just, you know, every phone call was fun. Like the guys love talking about him. I mean, he certainly left a mark on a lot of people. And, uh, it was really interesting to get a different look at him. Cause I feel like I've written everything you could possibly write about his NHL career, even his junior career. I went to London last year, uh, to do a story about his time with the Knights when he, he got honored up there. So, um, it, it was fun. It was, I, I was like, it was, it was, it was interesting to hear about the way he grew up and the way he was coddled. And then the, the, the. The kind of seismic change in his life when he went to Michigan to play for Crazy Donnie Harkins and uh, at Honey Baked, and then from there, uh, to yeah, the he, US he game. sounds like a piece of work. He's huh? like he is like almost every high school football coach I've ever covered. <laughs> it's, it's oh, you know, it was Jacob Galvis who I talked. There to. you he, go. So, How could you forget? Jacob and, and to my fairness, it was a prospect, so it wasn't on the. <laughs> my mind. But no, it was. It, 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 it's a little long, so take some time out of your schedule and. Uh, Give yourself ten yeah, minutes to read it, and it was uh, it was fun. Um, yeah, we got some we got some more games this week, and we got a plenty of coverage. And um, yeah, we'll be back at it for next week. So for Mark Lazarus, I am Scott Powers, and this is Lazarus Powers. Take care. I can help even just a little bit. Won't you let me try?